Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Lunch Pail Podcast. Alongside uh, Mike Nizolik, Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times. This is Aaron McFarling, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. We are back after a one-week hiatus. Hokies were off. We were off. Um, we were working, sort of, but uh, doing other One things. One of us was working. Yeah. Well, I covered Martinsville. That, that's <laughs> something. Um, but we have to talk about the UNC game. We have to talk about the quarterback situation. We have to talk about the lackluster performance that Virginia Tech has shown coming off bye weeks in the past year and a half. Uh, we'll have to talk about Notre Dame, what they're coming off of, what kind of team we're going to see from them on Saturday or what we think we'll see. The atmosphere at Notre Dame, I have some thoughts on that. Um, the pick three and the predictions at the end. Mike, we're almost to Halloween. Uh, I'm looking around your neighborhood, and it's, everyone's got their their pumpkins out. It's a very exciting time, and this is the best time of year for football uh, because all these games mean so much. And that one uh, against North Carolina a week and a half ago meant a ton. We talked about it all going into the game. When you look at that overtime victory, six overtime victory, what sticks out to you the most? Well, you know, you talk about the adversity that they overcame. Uh, Hannon Hooker out, uh, Caleb Farley, who was having a game of his career, four pass defense in less than, you know, basically a quarter and a couple of minutes. He missed the second half. Uh, they go to their third string quarterback uh, and six overtimes and still find a way to pull it out. Um, and this was a team you thought, you know, well, you saw against Duke, they faced a little bit of adversity and folded like, a, you know, a bad uh, chair. And it's, you know, a broken chair. And um, that wasn't the case. Uh, you know, you win their, they win their third game in a row. Um, and offense, you know, seems to have found its stride with the mobile quarterback. And the defense uh, did just enough, uh, you know, got torched in that first quarter, but found a way to settle down. Um, uh, just, uh, just an overall... I think an impressive win at home, which they needed. Um, and it really shows that this team is kind of whatever the message was after that Duke game have that they've bought in. Well, we're both writers and all writers are trained not to, to rely on cliches at any point. And, and to be honest, when we hear grit, sometimes we roll our eyes. Uh, when we hear things like next man up, we roll our eyes. I mean, the next man up is not going to be as good as the man that just left, right? I mean, that's just a given. He's not – He's not. or else he'd have been the, the man up in the first place. Well, guess what? In this case, the next man up did its, did his job. I mean, specifically Quincy Patterson, uh, I think, was a revelation in that game. I mean, it was a completely different offense that they ran under him, but for him to make that one throw that he did for the touchdown pass, which was on a fourth down – just a gorgeous pass that showed the possibilities maybe the ceiling uh, of Quincy Patterson um, the grit that they showed I mean yeah I mean there was a million excuses for them to grab onto and they didn't I mean they just they kept playing and they and they won um, I was very impressed you know I had written before that game they needed to give this this crowd a show and we talked about it on the podcast the previous week how long were fans going to stick around with lackluster performances at home they just you know it's you're going to lose people at some point i don't think they lost anybody in that one i mean i know some people went home uh probably had to get up early the next day or whatever but um in terms of whatever happens from here on out the rest of the season i don't think anybody can look at that performance and say to themselves you know this team is 
quit or this team has given up on the coaching staff or this team isn't you know isn't trying enough for my taste you know that like the old Hokies used to do this team gave everything it had well yeah you know we talked about when we're talking about Justin Fuentes you know on the hot seat after that Duke game and you know neither of us thought he really was but we both said you know wait till the season plays out because you know one of the things if you lose a locker room a team finally just gives up on you um then that's a sign you know maybe you have to start taking that seriously uh, but this, the opposite has happened. You know, they've really galvanized. And uh, when it's gotten tough, you know, in that Miami game, um, they were on the road, um, you know, Hen Hooker in his first start, and they blow that big lead. That another, You know, another time where they could have uh, folded, but they didn't. And so you've kind of seen uh, against, you know, it was, this wasn't against a, 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 a FCS team either. These two, you know, those two wins, I think, really um, – were, were statement wins for the program um, after thinking, you know, maybe you could just write, easily write this team off. I mean, they still have issues. Turnovers are still an issue. Defensively, um, they still make too many mistakes to feel kind of comfortable about them in any game. Um, but I think the encouraging thing is offensively, and this kind of leads into our next discussion with the quarterbacks, they've found that identity that they were lacking, uh, whether it's Hennon Hooker or Quincy Patterson. They seem to need a mobile quarterback because that's sort of, uh, you know, Patterson carried it 21 times after halftime, um, only attempted six passes, but softened things up enough where he got the three that he needed to get him that win. Uh, I thought it was um, a gutsy call, uh, and, you know, I don't think Fuente got enough credit. Um, or maybe fans were just so sick of Ryan Willis they didn't care. But I thought that was a gutsy call to go away from a senior who had just thrown a touchdown at the end of the half who moved the ball on one of the drives. I think that gets lost. They did put together a drive. You know, the second one was bad, but right. they did move it into uh, North Carolina territory, and he says, I've had enough. No, this is this is not – we're not looking right, and I need to go to Quincy, who had really not played any meaningful football for Virginia Tech. That's a great point, and not to pile on Ryan Willis, but there was – you know, it, there. Uh, I go back to what I said about there's an excuse you could grab onto if you wanted to. And the excuse he could have used is, hey, Ryan's been our number one guy. We're going to go back to him. Like, we need, we're need. we probably going to need to pass the ball some. I'm not, I'm not very confident. He, you know, all these would be thoughts that he doesn't express but just thinks, you know, like right. I, I'm not really confident in, in Quincy's ability to make a big pass if we need him to at this point. He hasn't done it enough. Um, so we're going to go with Ryan and, and see what happens. And he didn't do that. You're right. He made a bold decision to go to Patterson. Um, and Patterson, to his credit, um, shook off, you know, whatever nerves he might have had and whatever pressure he might have felt and, and and performed well enough. I mean, the, the touchdown run was obviously enormous after they'd fallen behind in regulation. And then, uh, again, going back to that pass that he made, was Hazleton that made Hazleton, the catch. Yeah. I mean, just, just a beautiful pass, nice catch as well um, that uh, – you know, Patterson, and we mentioned this, or I mentioned this on our uh, video we did after the game, but he's a very likable young man. I mean, yeah. he's just, you know, and that's what we heard about him when he came in here from Chicago. I mean, just you know, as much as uh, he was lauded for his physical abilities and traits, he was beloved by teammates and by teachers and by, you know, people who covered him in high school. And you can see why. I mean, and, and, and sort of – it's also the action speak louder than words thing where he's just put his head down and, and stayed the course here during uh, what it had to have been, you know, hard times for him to be the third string quarterback on a team with a guy, you know, who has 
perhaps a similar skill set to, to you in Hinden Hooker. You know, well, if, if I'm going to be the running quarterback, I lost out to a running quarterback. You know, but then he gets his chance and he does well. Let's let's get back to um, where they are now. Um, we did talk to Hooker today. Today is Tuesday uh, that we're taping this. So um, Hooker says he's good. He's good to go. And he actually said it was that play that everyone assumed was the play that hurt him was not the play that hurt him, right? Yeah, you know, we should set the scene. You know, Hennon got a, uh, hurt his left leg uh, late in the first half, um, got it. I guess twisted. He says it was when Chaz Surratt hit him on the helmet, uh, right on the knee. We couldn't. It's it's hard to say what play that was, because um, they're really near the injury or that play where they showed his leg getting bent back. That didn't happen, so it was kind of uh, I think on the drive before is when he was talking about. Um, regardless, um, you know he kind of you know usually they don't let players that are injured talk, so it was a good sign that they let him speak even to the media to begin with. Um, Fuente said that he avoided a long-term injury right afterwards and right the day, in the, you know, the next day too. Um, but now a week later, they, they, it seems like he's okay and good to go, that there's no sort of lingering issue. Um, it's good that it wasn't a high ankle sprain because those can linger. It sounds like maybe he just took a bruise to the knee or something. Um, and, and Fuente at the time said he thought he was going to even play in the second half, just couldn't go. Um, I think that's a good thing. You know, as good as Patterson was, I think this offense – in the what is it ten quarters that that Hudson Hooker has been under center um, has looked what you thought this offense would look like um, in terms of being able to move the ball consistently, scoring points. Um, I don't even think you want to even mess with it and do packages for Patterson, even though you're trying to you know reward him. I think the reward is now that they've kind of talked about probably without saying it, hey, he's the number two quarterback ahead of Ryan. Um, but I think you want Hennon out there, and I think you just let him go because I, I, I think, you know, it, he's he's kind of rejuvenated the season, basically. Yeah, and we didn't talk about it, I don't think, on the podcast prior to the UNC game, but you wrote a story about Hooker where you talked to his father and about yes, yes. Uh, about the whole transfer portal thing. I mean, you want to summarize? Uh, well, your, yeah, I mean, you know, it's a, he spent three weeks in the transfer portal and, and, and sort of walked away and thought, you know, I – uh, was it you know people have talked about all the people that went in the transfer portal and you know was it issues with the coaching staff was it issues with the team and for him it wasn't as much any of that as just I want to play now you know and there's teams with his skill set um you know obviously now what we've seen of his body of work would jump at the chance to have a mobile quarterback like that and he just thought you know they were going to have an open competition but maybe I can go somewhere and just have the job or you know um be the guy right away and, you know, he spent three weeks, 21 days, essentially away from the team. He was on campus and in school, but not with the football team. And ultimately came to the decision that, you know, I lo- what I liked about Virginia Tech in the first place is what I like about it now and, the, and what I want in a school that I'd go to. You know, I like the f- coaching staff. I think it's a good coaching staff that can make me a better quarterback. Um, I just got to put my nose down and, and, and try to win the job. He didn't. But all that work he put in is one of the reasons he got the chance in the first place this last year. You know, the every time the coaches were asked about him, they said, you know, he was just a different guy in kind of the summer and, and just really um, seemed to figure things out. They always liked his skill set, but he was ready. And when the moment he didn't let the moment get away from, him. you know, he, he got it. And so, um, yeah, it's, you know, the two guys that are really leading the offense, 
him and Sean McLeese were almost off the team. You know, the, you think about it, they were in the transfer portal at the same time together. They actually, I think, declared the same day they were going to the transfer portal. And now they're the leaders of your offense, just like you would have thought. Right. Um, four weeks ago when everybody thought Keyshawn King was going to be the guy and, you know, Pocket we, Kings. they were just going to not go with a quarterback because it was so bad. Um, but, yeah, no, it's, it's a wild story that – uh, he's done it the kind of the, you know, and he had to write a letter to apologize to the team and speak to the team. And obviously they took him back and, and, and some coaches have handled it differently. I think Pitt's coach said, you know, once they enter, the tr- they're done, you know, they're dead to me or whatever. Um, but and, dead to me. And, but I, mean, I think it's a, it's not a you don't want to encourage it because you don't want players just right. like, well, I'm going to look at my options if things get tough. But Fuente's handled it differently. He's handled each situation like, you know, these are kids that are going to make mistakes. Not that it was a mistake, but he's like, these are kids too. And you got to kind of, you know, it, it's hard. And so uh, his approach certainly paid off because now he's your, your quarterback right now. Well, the leg injury notwithstanding, I was, as he was talking to us today, I was just kind of sizing him up physically. And I just remember when he first came in here, and this isn't totally uncommon that guys come in really skinny. or They're not all Quincy Patterson where they're 250 pounds. Right, but Hinden was a very slender guy. I mean, super slender. And I'm looking at him today, and I'm thinking, this guy's a man. I mean, not only is he tall, but he's built now. Um, And if I had it to do over again, I would have asked him just about how that helps his his durability and how he feels after games or practices compared to maybe how he felt before. But – Let's move on to the bye week preparation. Okay, the last three – and you you pounded on this at the press conference today with multiple sources. Uh, the last three times they've played in – they've had uh, bye weeks. They've come off of them in, in most from, rec- from most recent to least recent. They, they got depanced by Duke. They lost to Georgia Tech last season, and they lost to Old Dominion, which is one of the most disastrous losses in the history of the program. That's not good coming off. Now well, we I listed it because Trey Turner didn't really understand my question, so I explained it to him, and I listed the games. Yeah. And a- after I got done listing the games, he just goes, oof. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the sound usually players try to not, you know. But, I mean, it's like they get it. Those were three of the worst losses in recent memory, not just going back in front. I mean, those were bad, bad losses. Well, and the base explanation is they were not a good team last year, and they weren't a very good team at the beginning of this year either um, when they lost to Duke. So is it just that they they were just bad, you know, a bad team, or is it is there something more? Is there a common thread in the preparation there that you were able to sniff out at all? Well, Fuente sort of dismissed my question and um, not even nicely, just said and then really just moved on. So that was fun. But uh, Bud and and I asked it and kind of framed it a little differently with Bud. It was just that because he's talked about the youth and what that does sometimes, and he said, yeah, you know, it, I think it is that. When you take with a young team, when you take your foot off the gas and you, you take a break, you stop, they have a tendency to sort of just like forget, you know, not like not to completely just lose where they are. But it's just like you kind of just breathe easy and you take it and you need to kind of work yourself into that. And sometimes that can, you know, catch you off guard. And certainly it has um, in those recent games, because I mean, this was t- they two and oh. Um, the first two years after off weeks in Fuente's tenure. So I think it's that. And um, a couple of the players, Taiwan Garbett uh, specifically, um, said, you know, we did a lot more good on good, you know, first team versus first team um, the last couple of days. And uh, the intensity is a little bit different where, you know, that was something that has been going back to just that Duke game where they said Fuente, you know, was trying to ease them, you know, be a little more easy in practice because, you know, some of that was stuff that they talked about at the end of last season um and he said you know we just can't do that we have to be 
the, our practices need to be much more intense, need to be much more focused every minute we're on the field. Um, and that's sort of carried over into this last, you know, this bye week where it's uh, where every practice has to have a certain level of intensity. And if it doesn't, uh, it, you know, we're going to, as a team, say it's not good enough. Um, and so that's what you want to hear, whether it'll make a difference, we'll, it, it, we'll, we'll see. Uh, but certainly, you know, they haven't done anything radically different, um, and I think that's kind of the overall takeaway. But attitude-wise, I think they recognize that when they have taken the foot off the gas or when they have sort of said, you know, we have confidence but not practiced that way, the results have been disastrous because those three games, I mean, lowest points of Fuente's tenure you know, consecutively almost. I mean, just yeah. really bad performances, and they've all come off after, you know, having that week off. Well, a team that probably wishes it had a week off last week was, was Notre Dame. I mean, they were ranked eighth in the country with their only loss, a very respectable loss at Georgia. And uh, they go to Michigan, they just get their doors blown off, 45-14. Uh, I gave was, up basically after three quarters. Went, you know, Ian Book came out, and they just said, we're done. Yeah. You know? And the I, game wasn't as I mean, it was like a three-possession game, but 15 minutes left, they just folded up and said, we'll go to next week. Well, I was all about stock car racing at that time. I did not watch any football on Saturday. Um, how bad was it for Notre Dame? Uh, how how bad is how how bad is Notre Dame hurting this week? And, yeah. and what kind of Notre Dame team will we see? Well, it was bad. Um, Forty-five, fourteen. They lost. Uh, Notre Dame had a hundred total yards, forty-seven rushing yards, hundred thirty-three passing, and gave up three hundred over three hundred yards rushing. Uh, the, the weather was obviously an issue, and I think that's why um, the coaching staff, uh, Fuente and Foster, have talked a lot about that USC game as more sort of like a, a blueprint of what they're going to see offensively, especially um, just because it was a downpour for three quarters almost. And so that changes things. Um, but a lot of discussion this week about Ian Book because he was benched for that fourth quarter, but uh, and after the game, Brian Kelly said, well, we're going to look at everything. But then on Monday said, you know, well, we're not thinking of changing quarterbacks. Kind of walked that back. Didn't mean it like that. But he's certainly not been as effective kind of during this stretch. Um, I, you know, and they benched a quarterback last year, um, you know, with similar numbers. And, you know, and I think that talk, you know, he had a, a really bad day on Saturday. Um, but, you know, he had a Bud Foster had a lot of praise for him and just that they think he's an accurate quarterback. One thing he mentioned was that he's pulling it down too quickly. Um, so hopefully that doesn't tip them off and make their, their game plan change. But, um, and you know, they'll try to do that on Saturday with uh, Virginia Tech trying to rush him and get him out of the pocket and do that. Um, but, yeah, Notre Dame, you know, it's one of those two things where do you think they'll respond uh, or do you think they'll sort of – because now, you know, their goals are different. They don't have a conference to go for. You know, their, their goals are now out of reach. They're not going to make the playoff. Um, you know, the, but they're not going to make the New Year six most likely. Um, what, what do you think in terms of, you know, this game Saturday and, and Virginia Tech would probably be an, e an opponent that's easy to overlook for them. Um, it's kind of interesting the way that that their seasons going could go now one of two ways like uh, Tech did against Duke. I think in 2016 when Tech went up there and won. They just weren't a very good team. I mean, they finished with a losing record. They're they're they've got talent. I mean, it's obviously it's shown in their in their results. I mean, the fact that the you know they whacked Virginia around pretty good. Um, you know, they they won at Louisville, and Louisville's shown that it's no patsy anymore. You know, uh, Southern Cal. You know, they, that's a rivalry game that was a close game, but they won it. Uh, you know, Vegas tells you they think that Notre Dame is much 
is is not <laughs> giving up on the season. The, the the line is 17 and a half. I mean, this is and I think that's a fair line. I think you look at uh, you know, if you go to Notre Dame, you're not the kind of kid that quits. You know, I just I know it's uh, you know, that that may be just falling into mystique or whatever else, but like when you walk around that place and this was something that I just this really struck me in 2016 because I'd never been to Notre Dame. And I, I grew up in Maryland. I didn't grow up in a place where college football was king. You know, it was it was pro sports. It was baseball and, and Redskins and, you know, Washington Bullets and Capitals. But uh, when you walked there, I mean, it, you, there was just no way you couldn't feel the history around you. And it, the, the clouds were hanging low and there were snow flurries in the air. And we walked over to the grotto and to the had touchdown Jesus and to all those things. And I asked Bud about that today because he'd never been either. And he said some of the similar things, you know, that just being a fan of the game, you know, you just, it, it feels different than walking into another place. Um, and I think, you know, the, the fans are disappointed there, but, you know, People live for Notre Dame football. You know, th- that's a level of, of of love and devotion and, and yes, I'm sure anger this week as well. But, I mean, that's a, that's a whole industry un- in and of itself, and, you know, with all, having your own TV network and everything else. So uh, I think Notre Dame is going to be very formidable here. Uh, I don't think there's any – there's no doubt in my mind that if, if Virginia Tech were to somehow pull this off, they will have done it against a team that was plenty motivated. Yeah, I, you know, the Virginia Tech had a couple, Hendon and Dax Highfield, who we talked to today, both were offered by Notre Dame, both visited Notre Dame, uh, did not get swayed by that mystique. Hendon yeah. specifically, um, <laughs> he was like, it was cold. I just want to go inside. Yeah, he was so, like, that's a nice fun fact uh, about history, but yeah, it's yeah, really cold. It, it was cold. So uh, a lot of those players, I think, from, from that, from Florida and Carolina, and, um, you know, I, I guess didn't, I don't, you know, in this generation, it's different where, you know, it's not on every week and it's not just the NBC game of the week where, well, you know, it's it's just it's just a different. I, I think it's I think it's and now you have the opportunity to see every team almost every week or whoever you want with ESPN plus and everything. It doesn't mean what it did 20 years ago and when, when we were growing up at the us, same age. But give us an idea. I mean, you're from the Chicago area. Yeah. Give us an idea of, you know. Compare it to the Chicago Bulls and uh, the White Sox and the Cubs and well, you know, and and Chicago doesn't have like you know a, a, a college team really. I mean, it is Notre Dame essentially. It's an hour right. away. Uh, Northwestern's closer, but nobody is a Northwestern fan. Right. Uh, nobody's an Illinois fan. Uh, I mean, forget about it. But um, you know, Notre Dame is kind of the team that Chicago uh, fans have adopted, and obviously, there's a big. Uh, population of people that went to the school and, and you know it's fanatical like you said where it's you know die hard and it takes a different meeting but i think what it drew in when we were growing up was that since it was one of the only team you know that's why people from all around the country you know present company excluded were cubs fans too whereas if you didn't have a team you know the cubs were on tv all the time right or notre dame was on tv all the time and so you'd have notre dame fans that what was the score of the notre dame game that they didn't like college football but since notre dame was on all the time and it was close you know that they just sort of adopted it. so you were a lot of more fringe fans but i think you've lose now because you know if you want to see memphis you could see memphis if you want to see 
TCU, you can see, t- you know, it's like there's no there's no reason you can't find any football game in the country now. Unless it's on the ACC network no, and on. you live in Troutville. <laughs> um, with the exception <laughs> of ACC games in ACC country, um, you can't you can see any game you want. No, I get your point. So, um, you know, when you talk to the kids now, uh, the kids, but uh, when you talk to players, student athletes that don't go to Notre Dame, um, I don't think it is as big of a deal. Well, and Dax talked about it. It was one of his dads. Right. His, that was his first thing he said. Yeah. He's like, my dad was like, let's do it. And right. Dax is like, meh. Well, and I think there's another element here that's obvious. But, I mean, if you're Catholic, okay. Right. That, Absolutely. That is, yeah. uh, and, and it also might turn you off a little bit if you're not because, you know, there is relig- there's religion everywhere on that right. campus. And, uh, it is a big part of their identity. Sure. Yeah. And and if you're if you're Catholic, I don't know how and you're a good football player. I don't know how you walk on that campus and don't go there. I don't you know, I'm I was raised Baptist, but like I could see like if you're Catholic, like that's just that's like going to Miami for, you know, if you're a beach lover, man, it's just dude, there's no, no, nothing better. <laughs> if you than like that. bikinis. OK, well, let, let's. You want to? You, you already talked about the 2016 game. Uh, I wasn't there, obviously. I wasn't covering the team yet, but um, I asked the players about just one of the moments there. I mean, I did an oral history last year. If you go uh, search for it, I've uh, got a lot of memories from the players. But one of the things I brought up this week was that <laughs> that was the game that Fuente drew a personal uh, unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. It's probably the maddest he's ever been, um, and just moments that they can compare to that. But that 2016 game, I mean, they erased a huge deficit. What three touchdowns and and they did that twice that season because they did it against Arkansas too. Um, what was that game like? And that was very early in Fuentes' tenure. Um, uh, in, I mean, is it just a different? And that was a very different team with a lot more leadership, uh, older guys too. So, uh, any kind of comparisons you can make for the, the those two teams? Not so much the teams, but they're. It was one of the, my favorite columns I've ever written off of a game um, in my entire career. Uh, but there were, there were two things that stuck out to me. One, and of course, playing-wise, I mean, the defense played great in the second half. I mean, it was, it, was fe- it was swarming, it was feasting, it was doing all the things that Bud Foster defenses have been known to do. But I watched the last 10 minutes of the game from the Notre Dame student section. That's where you wait. They kind of have a little holding area for the media for you to go out on the field at the, after the game. And I didn't have to write immediately after the game, so I, I was able to do that. And what struck me was how many Hokie fans were there. It was when Tech was making its comeback and when there was and, – and you can understand that because, you know, Notre Dame was having a bad season. So there, were, time tic- that they had there played, were tickets uh, yeah. available, uh, which, you know, is not always the case there. And um, – you know, people, it's a bucket list place for people to go, and it's the first time they've ever been. Tech was good. You know, Tech was on its way to the Coastal Championship that year. Um, so it, it was a perfect storm of just – it felt like a home game when Tech was coming back. Now, I know there was probably 75 at, – at, at least 75% Notre Dame people there, but it felt like more Tech people. Well, the weather was bad, so by that time a lot imagine. of the Notre Dame fans yeah. started yeah. So that was one thing that that stuck out. The other thing was was Fuente after the game, and there's been a lot of discussion about how laconic he is and how he doesn't he doesn't um, you know show emotions and he doesn't you know do this or he does he's, he's too much of a robot and all those things. But I saw I was there after the game as his, all his players are jumping into the stands with Tech fans and their parents and their families, 
And he's just standing there with his wife and looking around and taking it all in. And he's just, you know, mesmerized by the whole. And I asked him about it ever afterwards. And he gave me one of the most, I thought, the greatest quotes he's ever provided, which was you know, just talking about how special it was to be the coach at Virginia Tech. Better than (laughs) Yes. I guess it was better than that. But like, and you know, I tweeted it out and the tech fans retweeted it because of course it was, it was chum in the water for tech fans because it was talking about how special it was to be a part of Virginia Tech. But I thought it was genuine. I I didn't think he was just saying that because he was being a politician, you know, like I think he felt really lucky to be where he was and, and, and to have accomplished what the team did. And, and I think that's kind of what that place brings out of you. And I may have mentioned this before on this podcast, but as he's walking out, and this is how the column ended, he's, he's walking up the, up the ramp to go towards the locker room, and you can hear off in the distance the tech players that have already gotten to the locker room just screaming and hollering and shouting and just so joyful. And he walks up the ramp, and there's Touchdown Jesus. It's an open – that part of the stadium is open, and you can see Touchdown Jesus illuminated at night and just kind of beaming down on him. And there was just this feeling of, like, I don't know, piety almost that was just, you know, you don't get that everywhere. I mean, right. you don't get that at Wake Forest, you know. I'm sorry. Uh, oh, nothing throwing Wake <laughs> Nothing against Wake. Wake. <laughs> but And I'm sure, you know, Notre Dame would say, well, you don't get that at Blacksburg either. You know, like, you don't get, you don't get that in Charlottesville. You don't get that. It, it's like one place on earth that you get that sort of, that this is a church that you're winning in. You know, this right. is a church of football, um, and I'm not a Catholic, uh, and but I was I was t- moved by the spirit. I guess you could say. <laughs> well, they're going back, and uh, you know, Fuente said it's kind of an eternity because barely, there's barely anybody left, even on that from that team that's out, you know Virginia right. Tech, um, and so kind of all new group of players probably on both sides. Um, I, I and I. Like you said, it's a it's a Notre Dame's a big favorite, um, but I'm not sure what to expect exactly. No, it's been hard to to predict what the Hokies are going to do. I did get the UNC game right. I picked them to beat UNC. I thought they had one good fight in them. We'll get to our predictions. So they only have one good one. So now they're done. So that's a preview. <laughs> we'll see. All right, pick three. So it's that time of year. You you sound like you love Halloween. I had to do on the bye week the uh, trip to the annual trip to the pumpkin patch. Yeah, and I hate Sinkland Farms. I, I don't know, know which one it was. Auburn, Reiner. I don't know. Okay. It was down the expressway, like twenty minutes, twenty-five minutes. Mm, okay. I don't know. That was a pumpkin patch. Uh, they're all the same. <laughs> they got pumpkins. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. I was really that was that. You want to talk? I don't love. Not you know. My wife is from Michigan, and that was something that she did growing up because you know they had cider and donuts. They don't have cider donuts here, but. They have the pumpkin patches because outdoors and, you know, you got the leaves and whatever. I'm just not into it. I don't know what it is. I mean, the weather's fine and, you know, whatever, nice colored trees. But going to pick out a pumpkin is just not my thing. Well, okay, I guess. I mean, like we we used to go to the one up in Laymantown every year. And uh, this is the first year we haven't done it. And the kids are getting a little older. You know, my my son turns 14 the, the day before Halloween. Seven more years of pumpkin. You got patches. seven more years of pumpkin patches. Um, I I enjoy the hay ride and the you know the fall air and the and the you know the apple cider and all that. So I love all that stuff. I mean, it's just a, it's a celebration of, the, of my favorite season of the year. Um, 
we didn't do anything really special. I mean, we carved pumpkins. Did you guys well, carve? Well, they're going to carve one this week, and then my wife's going to have to do that because I said, I'll pick out a pumpkin and grud- begrudgingly, but I ain't cutting one up. That's not my thing. I'm not touching all that gooey stuff on the inside. It's gross. I don't want to eat a pumpkin. I don't want to smell a pumpkin. I just sort of just over pumpkins. I in think general. this go- this coincides with your disdain of nature that you. Oh, absolutely, a few, probably. Few weeks ago. Oh no, it is tied directly to that. Um, and and pumpkins are certainly part of nature. Uh, and then they just rot outside. It's like you got to clean them up, and you know they just. It's, I, I just so, don't understand the point. So a real horror story to you would be like to read henry david thoreau's walden or something where he you know he's living in yeah in, no that sounds like that sounds like just like cabin. torturing yourself for no reason <laughs> I mean, no wonder you're spending all your time writing you're trying you're just sitting in the nature just like this is the worst thing ever oh, i was like when you got hdtv you got netflix why why leave the house on an off week it's like i get it that's why trey turner said you know it's during his first bye week he just woke up at three o'clock start playing nba 2k that i get well, Not maybe waking that's up why, early maybe and that's going, why they're off right, performance is what it is. Good getting up early and going to a pumpkin patch is just is is not it's not my thing. Right, uh, your well, number your 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 number my one. My number favorite. one is Halloween related. I we went to we went to Cherokee last week and they have an outdoor theater there, uh, which is normally reserved for a, a a a Native American show that they do called Unto These Hills. But during the October they have it open for uh, something uh, it was called the um, Sleepy Hollow Experience. It was fantastic. It was thirty-five bucks to get in. I was like, man, this better be a good show for thirty-five bucks. That's like, you know, that's like real theater price, you know, and or you know, real local theater at least. What theater? Know. Are you going to New York? That's thirty-five. Right? No, you're right. You're right. Um, but I've seen Phantom of the Opera on Broadway, and this was better. Um, the atmosphere was tremendous. Though they had like these guys and. Uh, executioner outfits just walking around as as people were sitting down and they were walking around in silence with this creepy music playing and it was it was really really well done if you happen to get to cherokee and it's funny because randy king just told me he was in cherokee this past week too and i i don't know if he's ever been there people people go to cherokee it's not a place that uh, nobody goes but if you go and you happen to go during october go to that show man it's amazing fantastic uh, my number two, one of the other things we did during the byway because the kids had fall break, which apparently is a thing now. I don't, I don't know. That, well, that's for oh, another day. That's garbage. It's really stupid. Um, but we went to see a movie and we saw um, the Adams Family, the new animated version of Adams Family, and uh, it was very good. Very, very, very. It was you know, obviously, you know, the kids trying to kill each other throughout the movie. It's just very different because um, I, I hope they didn't pick up on that aspect of it. But um, very funny, a good voice cast, um, dark, obviously, sense of humor, but it, it was good. Uh, you know, these animated movies could be hit or miss, um, but that one was pretty short and easy to sit through. Um, and the kids really enjoyed some of the, uh, you know, it's got a little bit more of an edge than your generic a kids movie because obviously adam's family you know a hand is one of the things lurch right. who was an escapee from a mental asylum and so it's you know a little darker but uh they enjoyed it and it was if you're looking for a movie to see with the kids uh this weekend that, that would recommend that one okay. certainly to, it's easy to sit through for parents well that's good that's yeah. that's the key for me yeah yeah um, my second one, World Series. I mean, t- this will probably be defunct maybe by the time people listen to this. But it is Tuesday, and their game six is scheduled for tonight. And Strasburg scheduled to pitch against Verlander. Um, I, you know, it's kind of a bummer, I think, if you're, if you're not 
uh, a fan of either of the teams, right? Like I'm an Orioles fan. I'd, I prefer the Nats to win because they're closer, but um, I don't really care all that much. And uh, it's kind of a bummer when you're not attached that there hasn't been a home victory yet. I mean, there has been really no celebration among the fans right. in either venue. Um, I suspect that will change over the next day or two. Uh, I, I think Houston will probably finish the deal here, you would think, especially with Max Hurt. But very odd to see a World Series. And we know baseball, you know, home field matters very little. But uh, very odd to see all five games go the way of the visitor. Well, it's the best sports time of year, right? Because all the sports are going. That's so fantastic. You're, you're it's only unbeatable. got a couple more days uh, left of that. Uh, well, well, the World Series, I went to the – when the White Sox made it, I went to a game. Um, gosh, now what is it, 12 years ago? Um, doesn't feel like that long ago. But um, – and that is the greatest. 2005, the, right? Yeah. Oh, so 14 years ago now? Yeah. Jeez. Um, but it is the greatest to go to a World Series game. Yeah, There's sure. no better feeling. Um, and they swept the Houston Astros. Um, and – yeah, it, it's pretty exciting when, especially when you are a fan of the team. Um, with Washington, it's pretty special that they're, uh, you know, it's their first trip. A lot of bandwagon jumpers, I guess. There were people upset about that, but um, yeah, Baltimore. Not you haven't been to a World Series. Well, you? and and Baltimore and and Washington have something of a rivalry, and I was kind of involved in that for a while. But then it, over time, I I you know, since the franchise has been here longer, I guess they got here in two thousand five too. Um, like I've, I've seen actual fans develop, you know, like fans that lived through the whole season. That was my problem with, you know, back in 2012 when they, they shelved Strasburg, I was one of the people that was yelling, yelling the loudest. You got to pitch him now. You never know when you're going to get back right, to the right. world series. Like, and the Nats fans, the, the newbie Nats fans were all on the side of, of management, which was, well, we're going to have uh, multiple opportunities to win, and we want him healthy long term. And I'm thinking that, that just shows you can never get back. That right, shows yeah, a lack okay. of knowledge about the way baseball works, you know. Right. But here you are, seven years later, so maybe they were right. Maybe they were right. But um, I, I, I've I've seen that evolve over time, and I've seen the fan base get smarter. I've seen the fan base base get more involved. They were very upset the way the Nationals started this season. Uh, if that had happened in 2010, they wouldn't have cared. And so I think that's that's uh, progress. And so I, I respect them more now, and I appreciate the fact that they're enjoying this. And I hope they, I hope they win it. Uh, it'd be great for those those people that have, um, you know, become actual fans. Yeah, and it's 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 weird. You know, I don't think there were a lot of Expos fans that made the uh, made no. the jump. No. They, they were I saw it. Pedro was at one of the games, and we saw it's it, it's weird that that's their history. But I don't think any fans really think of themselves i mean they're just different it's not the same team even though it's the same team no and i mean it's like it's like the do the twins view themselves as the senators no i mean you know like they should well <laughs> i guess <laughs> all right what's your third oh man just not with the bye week i just feel kind of odd but i did get to watch um some uh you know it's rare during the season with the with the second bye week too we got i've got to watch more college football than i have probably in a long time just you know I, I spent the day really just kind of watching and uh watched the virginia louisville game which i thought was interesting um and bryce perkins looks like he's just gonna at some point just lose both of his legs because that offensive line can't work but just this coastal division and trying to figure it out what's gonna happen um i it's just it's a uh, 
it's a fascinating you know the, the people have been talking about all seven teams going four and four and i guess if there's two results that can happen this weekend that could cut it down the odds like to um <laughs> like a couple hundred thousand or something like that in one but um as strange of a division and a, a divisional stretch i think is we're going to see the next four weeks where literally any team could win it any of the teams could any of the seven um, you know, Georgia Tech, you probably discount a little bit, but I mean, everybody's alive and everybody's bad. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Throw them all in a big hat. And, and Fuente leave, said leave the this out. week, well, it's been like that every year, but I think the difference, and I, nobody would say this, was that, well, but I mean, they were a little better in previous <laughs> years, right? It wasn't that everybody was just sort of bad. And then, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, uh, can you handicap? You've seen more of Virginia. I mean, do you think Virginia now is is anything to worry about? Well, uh, you know, we keep talking about UNC being these pivotal matchups for Tech, and now I think for UVA as well. I mean, this is just a huge, huge game for UVA right now, playing uh, at Chapel Hill this week. And they don't have Jordan Mack for the first uh, half. Uh, he's one of their defensive leaders now, uh, especially now that Bryce Hall is not going to play. So, um, yeah. I've I've been on Virginia all along. I'll stick with them, but you know if they lose this one, they've lost their. Foot and wouldn't home. it be fun? I mean, it would be fun if the Virginia Virginia Tech oh. game came down. Oh, you yeah. know that was the coastal. It's happened a couple times before, but I just with this year, just with you know the the streak obviously continues to build. Everybody thought this was the year that Virginia would run away with it, yeah. um, and I still th- like I said I still think the big thing for the coastal is if Bryce Perkins could even stay healthy the next right. couple of weeks. Who's your, who's um, your team? Who's your team? Well, I picked Tech at the beginning, so Did I mean, you? I have okay. to say Tech because I mean that that's why they're you still don't have to. I mean. yeah, 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 but but Tech has it in their own hands. Even this week, if they get blown out, it doesn't matter. Um, so they have their own destiny in their hands. They they none of these teams look formidable. I mean, Wake is a little bit, but I mean, when you give up sixty points to Louisville, it's not like um, you know no you're unbeatable. Um, and you know, Pitt is. Pitt, I, I thought Pitt wasn't going to be great this year. I mean, they've surprised, but I don't think they're very good. Georgia Tech and Virginia. So it's like you know, it's certainly feasible. Yeah, I mean, they have. I, I don't think they have a, as good a chance as anybody. I mean, I think Virginia has a better chance, but uh, I think they have as good a chance as anybody other than Virginia. Uh, I think, and and you're right. They get a chance to play Virginia, and we know how that's gone for 15 straight years. So, yeah. <laughs> they, excuse me. They have to feel fairly confident. All right, my third one. Your third one. Um, one thing I love about NASCAR fans, and I consider myself a NASCAR fan. I wasn't always one, but I am now. Is they understand who they are. You don't hear NASCAR fans when they get called rednecks and hillbillies and all that. That you don't hear them fighting back on that. They're just like, yeah, yeah that's what we are. Um, I saw on Sunday, I entered the, the Martinsville Speedway uh, almost witnessing a fight um, between two guys. One guy said, I'm going to knock your teeth out. Boy, I'm going to knock your teeth out. And the other guy was like, hey, easy, easy. And it, finally it was diffused. And the night ended with a fight on the track in the pits between Denny Hamlin and Joey Logano, and the fans loved it. I mean, you know, I once did a story – they had a, a professional wrestling event in Danville. It was, you know, one of these smaller wrestling circuits, and I'm not a wrestling fan. But 
uh, it was close to Martinsville Speedway, you know, just a half hour or so. And so they were promoting it at Martinsville, you know, come out to the wrestling event tonight on Friday or whatever. And, and boy, did those people show up. And it was it was so many similarities between professional wrestling and NASCAR. And one I like and one I don't. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just the, the race itself was very boring. One driver, uh, Martin Truex Jr., won he ran, he led 464 of the 500 laps. That's that's about as boring as it gets at Martinsville. So to see some action, especially with the Virginia native getting uh, mixed up in it, uh, the fans enjoyed that. And I'm, I'm looking forward to the rest of the playoffs. We're going to miss uh, – we'll be on a flight, I guess, when the Texas race is going on next Sunday. But um, I'm looking forward to Texas, Phoenix, and – and the Homestead finale. I can contribute nothing to that <laughs> conversation. Um, it's, it's either you like it or you don't. Uh, I mean, D- Doug says about it, Dowdy, he always says, I don't need another passion. <laughs> yeah, like, it's not my thing. Um, prediction time. Yeah. So the line opened at 16, uh, 16 and a half, I think, and is now at uh, 17 and a half. I was up to 18 briefly. Um, what, what, do you, what do you got? Uh, I'm going to pick Notre Dame to win here. Uh, let's say 30 to 20. So I think the Hokies put in a, a reputable effort. Yeah. I think they cover for the for the would that be the third week out of four. Mm-hmm. They didn't cover against Rhode Island, but uh, I think they'll cover the spread. Um, uh, you know, they, I think they're feeling better about themselves, and and rightfully so. I mean. Given what we said about the the North Carolina game and how important it was and how they performed in it, um, not a dominant performance but a gutsy one. I think they're going to continue to show guts the rest of the way out. Um, and it, after you give your prediction, I have a question for you. So go ahead and give yours. Yeah, I think it's similar. It's kind of boring because you know you you like to disagree and kind of go back and forth. But I think they cover thirty four twenty one. Yeah. Um, Notre Dame gets on track a little bit, but it's a competitive game probably, you know, for most of it, and Tech just can't stay with them. You just figure that Notre Dame right now, a little more talented, a little more experienced just because, you know, they did make recent playoff run and things like that. Um, uh, but, I, I mean, I could see a, a, a scenario where Tech does push them. You know, Notre Dame kind of has an emotional sort of letdown still, you know, hangover, um, and Tech kind of catches them. But um, – I still wouldn't be confident to even pick pick them to, to win. But, um, you know, the good thing for them is they just got to get through this and, and kind of refocus because it really doesn't affect, you know, their their, out, their outcome for say, the Coastal. It has a lot of juice for me, this game does, but if you look at the schedule, it has the least meaning of any of the games remaining. Yeah. And that includes Georgia Tech just because Fuente struggled against Georgia Tech. Right. And uh, certainly less important than Virginia. Uh, you can make the argument maybe that Wake being a non-coastal game, um, you know, like it's not as big to win as as winning at Notre Dame would be just in terms of program prestige and all that. I mean, this is a ranked team on the road uh, if you were to win it. Uh, so kind of nothing to lose. But my question to you would be if they do lose something in the neighborhood of 54 to 7, um, what does that do uh, to them? Does, does it – I mean, does it – or do you just write it off and say, well, you know, all the goals are still there? Yeah, I think that's how you do it. And you, and you could say, you know, the last time they lost like that with Duke, they galvanized, and right. that's what they need the next four weeks or whatever it is. Um, I I think, you know, what they've said with sort of the fight and the grit, you know, they keep mentioning 
um, on and on and on that you don't want to kind of get blown out like that. That kind of right hurts your message. And how many times can you go back to that? If you know against teams that are a little better than you, you just sort of you know what did what did what did Oscar Bradbury said? Get your pants taken down or whatever. Yeah, they pulled our pants down. Yeah, they pulled yeah. our pants down. You don't want to get your pants pulled down. I don't think. No. Um, so. Um, yeah, I, I think it would just hurt their message that they've kind of learned their lesson because that was kind of the, that's been the that's been the sort of the unanimous thing after Duke is like we we know now what we did wrong and we we're not going to do it again. So if you do it again like four weeks later, that's not a good look. Yeah. Um, but like you said, wouldn't matter. I mean, maybe it maybe it knocks you down a bowl game if you were to qualify for a bowl. But right. it's you know whatever. What's the difference between a pinstripe and a sun bowl? Well, and that's well, actually that's a really good point about the bowl. I mean, they they still they're still chasing bowl eligibility. Yeah, a win uh, would help with that, but a yeah. loss doesn't. I mean, they need two, and you know you you kind of figured this wasn't going to be one of them. Even back before right. the season, you figured this game. Um, they weren't going. This was going to be hard. Yeah, it feels quasi house money game here. But as somebody who won four hundred dollars of house money and then gave it all back this past week, uh, and it went an additional two hundred dollars on top of that, uh, I can tell you, having the house money is better than losing the house. And money. maybe that helps. You know, in these other games where they've had, you know, more pressure to win in all three of those. You know, on the road at ODU, you're the heavy favorite. What were they? Thirty point favorites, and yeah. you know that's. Uh, in-state opponents, Georgia Tech last year, where you in the triple option, you'd never played good against it, and it, it just kind of tripped you up always. And then this year against Duke, where you thought they need to win against an ACC opponent here, nobody's thinking they're going to win this game. I, I mean, not outside that locker room, at least. No, I don't think so. I'm, I'm sure if you get put the fans on a lie detector, they'd probably tell you now they're not going to win. But, you know, look. I, I didn't expect them. Despite Notre Dame's struggles in 2016, I, I didn't expect them to win there. I don't think. I don't. I'd have to go back and see how see how I picked that game. But I don't. I don't. You know. You just kind of feel like that's the. Uh, you don't even remember if they were favorites or underdogs. I don't. I don't. I would assume they were dogs. But it's probably um, a small. Because Notre Dame, if they had won that game, they would have still had a chance at a bowl. But as it was, because uh -huh. I think they were four and six. And then they had USC on tap after that, and USC was really good that year. So it was, it looked like they weren't going to make a bowl. Uh, but you know the way they came out, you can't say they did, they didn't have motivation. No, they had I mean, fight. they they thumped Hokies early on, and then the Hokies responded uh, marvelously. So uh, yeah, it's it's just gonna it's just gonna be a fun a fun little trip. I mean, you know, it sort of does feel like they have nothing to lose, but um, if they were to win. Uh, it'd be quite a celebration for that team, and 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 quite a turnaround for the program, just just uh, over a four week span. Yeah, I mean, span. you'd think that you know this team was dead in the water, and then they beat Notre Dame on the road. You couldn't, nobody would have guessed that after no. that Duke loss. But a uh, long way to go to get to there. But even if they lose this one and they bounce back and win those two, I still think you have to look at from where they were to where they finished. There was that, you know, it's not the success the fans wanted, but I think. Um, they certainly proved something uh, if they were to kind of bounce back like that. But a lot of football left to be played, and, you know, it feels weird. We'll get in the, like I said, the real stretch of the ACC after this one, but hopefully it's a, uh, just hopefully it's a good game. I mean, we've had we've had two of the last three weeks have been tremendous, so yeah. we've been spoiled. So we maybe have we'll, we'll get a 50-7 to seven letdown. <laughs> well, uh, all the bye weeks are done, right, for Tech. So 
that means the bye weeks are done for us as well. No so more we'll, pumpkin patch we'll, trips. We'll, so we will, can all we will celebrate be, that. We will be here every Tuesday from here on out. I guess we'll post it on when, what do we post on Wednesday morning? Wednesday. Okay. So enjoy that. <laughs> enjoy that post posthumous. <laughs> Posthumous, Posthumous uh, World Series analysis I just gave earlier. Uh, from Mike Nizolik, this is Aaron McFarling. Enjoy the game on Saturday. We will catch up next week. Thank you.